This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Welcome to Facebook Live. And it's going to be a great show. We're talking to Stacy Ballman. He's with Hockey Ministries International. Um, he's a, a, a longtime family friend. He does great ministry with Hockey Ministries International, also known as HMI. I've been blessed to get to do for a couple of years. I uh, was the chaplain for the San Antonio hockey team, the Rampage, and just hearing what Stacy actually works for HMI, and that's his ministry. And uh, we're going to hear about that. I want to hear about his testimony. He was a longtime professional hockey player, and uh, I've got his stats right in front of me here, <laughs> right here. That's a short left straight there. He's got my stats. There's not much on the stats. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Hey, these stats go back a little ways. New market hurricanes. Ah, yeah. Yeah. The OPJHL. We got Yale, of course. I mean, you're a Yale graduate. We're going to talk about this. Hold on. We'll get the radio show started. So, oh, it looks like Mark started it. So that's great. <laughs> hey, KSLR listeners, Mark, you're the best. We got the marksman on it. KSLR, welcome to Very Bold Radio and Podcast. Steve Teal with you each and every Saturday and delighted to talk to Stacy Ballman today. He is a former hockey player, but he is with HMI, Hockey Ministries International. I want to welcome Stacey to the show and say, how are you doing, man? Doing well. Yeah, glad to be on, Steve. Excited to, to hang with you for a bit. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you've already been hanging with us for a bit as we were working <laughs> through the technical issues. I appreciate Mark and Shemaya Reed just doing a great job figuring all that out for us. But thank you for your patience. And uh, sure. let me let me start going through because I've got these, I mean, some of your career and you say it's, you know, there's not much, but that is not true. That is inaccurate. <laughs> There's a lot here. So you played four years. You're Ivy Leaguer at Yale. Um, I mean, Yale, that hockey is – that's no joke. I mean, y'all won a national championship later on after your career. I mean, that's incredible. It was uh, – yeah, it was a great experience. Um, as a Canadian growing up, like you're you're pushed and, and encouraged towards – Major junior in Canada, so the, either the Ontario League, the Quebec League, or the Western League, which are obviously okay. the top junior leagues in the world. But okay. there's also the other route where if you don't go to one of those leagues, you stay eligible to play NCAA Division One hockey. And so that was also another route that, thankfully, I had a um, a coach in my 17, 18-year-old years that was had loved college hockey, New Michigan, and so he was encouraging me to at least keep that on the radar and think about that. And so... Um, thankfully because of his encouragement that, that stayed on my radar and, and then became a kind of a goal as I played juniors, um, to pursue the option of playing in the States, um, instead of the major junior route, which wasn't really an option for me. So okay. it worked out well. What do you mean yeah. it wasn't really an option for you? Uh, so like, it's very important that you get into a team at the right age there. And I wasn't good enough at the age that the draft year happened. And so, um, I had a little bit of interest the next year, but it's a, it's a major risk as an overager to try and then enter um, juniors at that point. And um, I think probably, thankfully I was naive enough to not go that route. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been, a, it would have been a lot of risk. And who knows? I mean, God could have opened a door that way as well, but um, because I was a late bloomer and the options weren't there at a younger age, I didn't try to pursue the minimal options that I had as an older ager or an overager. And so 
um, college hockey became the route that I was pursuing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And thankful for it. It was, it was a lot of fun at Yale. It was challenging, but, um, college hockey is a lot of fun. It's a great, yeah, it's, it was a great experience. What sure. kind of, what kind of challenge was it? When you well, talk academically, about academically, yeah, you're <laughs> academically. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, I, Ivy no, League yeah. and you're playing D1 I on hockey. A, I was on a Zoom call with, uh, Five of my former Yale buddies, which we hadn't seen each other in years. And so for one of the guys, 40th birthday. And so we were chatting and I just kept running through my mind as we're chatting. Like I, I should turn back in my Yale diploma because <laughs> I'm undeserving of this piece. I, I was fortunate enough to get in there because of hockey. Hockey helped me get in, but it's such an intelligent place. A lot of driven academic people who are there for the academics primarily. And so when you're trying to keep up in that competitive environment, academically it, it takes some work so um th- that was probably the biggest challenge and then yeah i would say academically was the biggest challenge um we're playing a college sport there's some challenge there as well but that was more fun for me i would think so well academically i mean you wound up uh graduating with the degree was it finance or what was it economics yeah. economics economics, economics. Yeah. like so you picked like the easiest degree right yeah <laughs> I mean, that was the easiest. Was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Of the schools that I would have been accepted, that would have been the hardest one. So, okay. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Oh, man. All right. So the hockey part was, was just a lot of fun, but the, the yeah. academic challenge was serious and real. And you did yeah. it. And, yeah. Yeah. I survived. And uh, the hockey part was work too, but, but it, it was fun work for me. Like it was what I, was passionate about it was the passion that God had given me. And so um, the work around that was just sort of part of the joy of getting to play the game and, and try to get better and, and see where God was going to take it down the road. So um, there were struggles absolutely with that. It's part of my testimony too. some of the struggles with that, with the hockey side of things, but um, the, the academic piece probably felt more like more, more like work than, yeah. than the hockey piece. Yeah. Too, so. Well, man, um, I want to cover a little bit more, but then I want to hear about your testimony. So um, I would love to go on that. And then I want to talk also about HMI and what you're doing with Hockey Ministries International, because I always like to give people an opportunity who are moved by God to say, hey, dang, first of all, that's awesome what Stacy's doing. But also maybe maybe somebody today is going to be like, well, I want to be a part of that. I want to help, you know, help make that happen. So um, I'm just looking at your stat sheet, which is quite extensive, actually. (laughs) So Yale, those four years graduating. And then I love minor league hockey. You played for Greenville, the growl. Yeah, uh, I did yeah. not know that that was a team. I mean, they have like extra R's in their name, yeah. the Greenville Growl. Yeah. That was the East Coast Hockey League. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then you were with Lubbock for three years. I think, um, with the Langfords, with my sister, brother-in-law, nephews, I think I probably saw you play with Lubbock against Amarillo. Um, okay. yeah, is what I feel sense. like many, yeah. uh, a few years ago. So you were with Lubbock, yeah. the Cotton Kings. Yeah. 2004, 2005, 2006. That's, uh, that was with the CHL, the Continental Hockey League. One of those years, maybe it was with the Blazers. You, you then played with the Blazers two years, Oklahoma yeah. City. And then this is really sad. There's a little pop up over the stats. 
Um, it's hilarious. I didn't notice when I printed it, but, uh, so instead of seeing your last, uh, last year or two, was it with, uh, RGV or who were you with the yeah. last couple of years? Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I should show you this on camera cause it's hilarious. I'm like, I know he didn't finish with the blazers, but that's what it looks like. So, um, you were, you were with Oklahoma city and then, uh, you played in the Valley for RGV. I don't remember the name of, uh, RGV cause it's literally blocked. What were they, who yeah. were they called? Real Grand Valley Killer Bees. Killer yeah. Bees, love it, love yeah, it. Killer Bees, yeah. That's that's quite a career. I mean, that is a pretty dang long time. It, uh, you know, there's guys that have played. When you think about a guy like Yarmy Yager, who was still playing in the NHL at 44, 45, yeah, um, and still like being effective at at that age at a really high level. Um, my career is pretty morphed, but there are guys who only play a year or two and, and or, or there's certainly lots of hockey players that aspire to playing and, uh, and don't ever get to a chance to play in the minors. And so I, I probably got to be careful of not downplaying it too much, but it, cause it was a privilege. And it, I think I wrote that to you that like, yeah, God opened some doors and I'm super thankful for the opportunities. And it was way more than I ever deserved in the game. Um, and so definitely grateful for it, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a nobody in the hockey world and, and that's okay. Um, that's, that's totally fine. That totally is, fine. that is not true. That is not true. And I just even looking at the research, um, finding some of your coaches talk about you even from, you know, years ago and just talking about the impact that you have, uh, have on a team and on a community and just the way you played the game and everything. It was really, um, the way they were bragging about you was really awesome. So, um, all right. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And if I wasn't trying to do all 800 things, I'd probably read a few things. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read something. I'm going to find this. So I know I've got your, yeah, I think, um, one of your former coaches, Chris Dashney, is that how you say that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I don't remember. It looks like he was a Blazers associate coach and maybe it was somewhere else too. But um, yeah, he said, Stacy is a fabulous person. One word doesn't describe Stacy Ballman. He's just an all encompassing individual. We need guys who can contribute on the ice, but we also need guys who can contribute off the ice. And he does both. And then he said, um, every night you face the other team's best and that's a tough thing to do. He plays every shift like it's his last with him. The efforts never up and down. It's always up. And that that's elite effort. I mean, that's amazing. That's pretty cool. Well, and all glory to that is to God, obviously. And, um, and that's what we try to do. I won't jump into the ministry piece yet, but that's, yeah. we're trying to teach hockey players that God's word speaks through their life for the ice and, for off the ice, so they're going to be one day maybe as a parent or a, as a spouse. Um, but God, God's word is not compartmentalized. The Sunday morning, it's not just for uh, mission work overseas and third world countries. It, it, it impacted who I was as a player, right? Um, and, and my relationship with Christ was a part of that. And so, anything that any accolades or bra bragging that coaches did was because I think God had shaped my character and is still shaping my character to believe that the impact in the community is important. The people around that he had given me the, again, part of my testimony, but yeah, the community that I'm a part of is it's, it, I I'm playing hockey to reach those people as well, as well as the people in my locker room, my teammates in the locker room. Um, and so when you start to live and I still have a lot of work on this, but when you start to live yeah. how God ordained us to live and called us to live, then, then you start to experience the joy. You start to have a passion for life. 
you can have a work ethic in whatever area of work that is for you because you recognize that it's a higher calling. It's not just a job or it's not just a game that you're playing. I think a, a Christian hockey player should be able to get to a level of work ethic that's above anyone else because they're not yeah. working for their coach or for the stats or for fans in the stands, whatever it looks like, right. championships, they're working for the creator of the universe, which yeah. if you're not motivated by that, I don't know what should motivate you. So, right. Yeah. Man, that's good stuff. That That's just firing me up. That's getting me ready to play some <laughs> hockey for Jesus, and I, I don't play <laughs> hockey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Hey, maybe one day you will. Who knows? I don't know what heaven's going to look like. I hope there's ice rinks up there. But. That is going to be my chance to play hockey. It's going to be in heaven. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's yeah, it. Sure. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Pick, pick me on your team. Don't pick me last. Uh, <laughs> you might – you want to be on Steven's team, I think. Get on Steven <laughs> and Mark's team, maybe. Yeah. I do. I do for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, man, yeah, that's take me back. Sorry to even my brother-in-law, Rob, and Andrew, those guys yeah. playing hockey and everything. All right, let's yeah. get into your testimony, man. Where where did this sure. happen? Did you grow up a Christian? Did you get this in college? How did you become yeah. – uh, so passionate about realizing, man, you're you're playing not for the coach, not for yourself, not for your ego, not for the fans, but for the creator of the universe. Where'd this come from, Stacey? Yeah. So faith is a process, I think. And so for me, I was fortunate to grow up in an awesome church. Um, I'll even backtrack before yeah, that. that yeah. there's, um, give credit to my ancestors and, and my grandparents. And um, I grew up in an awesome family. Uh, my parents both grew up in a Mennonite background. Wow. Uh, my dad was actually old, old order Mennonite. So horse and buggy, my grandpa drove horse and buggy until he passed away at 92. Wow. So a very, very conservative, very different way of growing up. I, I didn't experience the super conservative, but there were flavors of being conservative that came into my upbringing. Okay. And so, you know, things like rules in place, like you can't get an earring, you can't get a, have a tattoo, you can't have a girlfriend before you're 16. Okay. Some natural parenting stuff, but it felt like to me, I think that started some of the process of my faith walk of um, my perspective at that time was they were keeping me from joy. So I, I thought about a tattoo. I thought about earrings, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, as a young boy, you start to notice that girls are cute. So the girlfriend <laughs> restriction was, was what it was. And so... <laughs> you see rules from that perspective as a kid as deterring you from what you think is good for you. But when you look back at it now as a parent trying to put rules on my kids and, and guidelines for my kids, you realize that rules are great. Like hockey is full of rules, yeah. not to make the game worse, but to make the game better. They are constantly trying to tweak the rules of the game to make the game the best it can be, not the worst. And so I think wow. that starts to change your perspective on God's, commandments and his guidelines and his ordinances and the way he designed life to work is not for our worst. It's for our best. He yeah. knows how it's to work best. Um, and so that was that conservative upbringing was part of it. They had me plugged into a great church. Um, super thankful for the church that I grew up in and the youth group that I grew up in. And again, looking back as always seems clearer. You don't see it necessarily at the time, but it was super formative in terms of um, who I became as a follower of Christ. Um, and so as a youth, I accepted Christ. I went through that process of accepting Christ multiple times, yeah. really convicted that I wasn't living as God called me to in certain areas and, you know, recommitting my life to him. And, and yeah. I, at the time, I probably was ashamed of that. Like, I've already done this. This should be already solidified. But looking back, like this walk of becoming Christ-like is a process for the rest of our lives. And so right. I don't shun that part of my life. And I'm thankful that um, even though it seemed illogical, um, returning to him and, and um, recommitting my life to him was just a part of the process of me growing into who he's called me to be. And so 
Um, that happened throughout my youth years. Uh, and then I would say somewhere around the time I was going to Yale, maybe even a little bit before that, I started to realize that God had not just like saved me, but that there was a calling to some degree, whatever calling me, that he was wanting me to reach hockey players. And so that there was wow. a ministry in the hockey world. And so it, the slow process of really realizing, I'm careful to say like he called me and I knew it, but I knew I was in a locker room of a bunch of guys that didn't follow Christ. Yeah. And I knew I was trying to follow Christ. Yeah. So that just naturally felt like an environment for ministry. And so, um, wow. He's obviously refi- refined that a little bit more, but that was sort of the start of it there. So what, uh, what did that look like in the beginning? I mean, you're around a bunch of guys, like you said, who don't know Christ or not trying to follow Christ. Um, yeah. where did, I know it's a process, but where did you, you know, I mean, find guidance from God on even how to reach one of those guys or some of those guys? What did that look like? Sure. I think the first thing was recognizing guys were talking and doing stuff in the locker room that I had felt conviction that God didn't want me to do, whether it was drinking substances, girls, all the stuff that can happen in a sports locker room. Yeah. Um, I think the first step was like, I need to be committed to who I am. And I wasn't perfect in any of those things, but, um, but feeling a conviction to live out my faith first and foremost, by not joining the culture I was living in. Mm. Don't be conformed to the culture. Um, and so, that was probably the first step. Um, the second step was recognizing that like, as I was doing that, I could invite guys. I love going to church or to youth group. And so just simply inviting guys, um, in juniors, um, Hey, you want to come join me at church? Cause we're all kind of living at billet families, living away from home. And yeah. some guys would join me. Um, sometimes conversations would start. I can remember, um, praying with a guy We would yeah. pray before games, another teammate that was a believer. We pray before games in, um, in juniors, um, together. So there's little moments like that where you're starting to see that faith can be incorporated as a part of this, yeah. um, a part of hockey, and it can have an impact on other guys. Um, and then that, I think that just kind of further, when I got to school at Yale, it just, for what, I don't know if there was a moment that clarified that for me, but it was always trying to reach your teammates, whether it was trying to start a Bible study with teammates or invite them to church, most or to the sports ministry you're a part of. Most of those were, I would say, uh, from a world standpoint, we're overly fruitful. There weren't a lot of guys attending, but you, you, who knows the seeds that were planted and what God was doing through that. Right. Uh, but recognizing like all these guys don't know Christ and, and I want them to. And so yeah. I'm, I get to be their teammates and get to be in that environment. So, um, I'm going to try and, and see what ministry just through a friendship type thing is, it looks like, you know, right. probably wasn't super. I wasn't intentionally in ministry. I was just a teammate that loved them and wanted them to know Jesus. So, man, that sounds like uh, that's very intentional. It sounds like uh, the right sure. approach. Yeah. It sounds like to me. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess I say intentional because now I'm in. I am in ministry, yeah. which can change your thinking sometimes, and it maybe sometimes becomes less just natural. And you're always strategically thinking about what you need to do. But yes, you're right. It. I just love it on people. It's how Jesus ministered most of the time. So you're yeah, right. Yeah. Probably most intentional. Yeah. Did it, did it ever get just, um, did you ever just feel like rejected in terms of, you know, just even if it's a simple inviting people or just get to the point of, man, what's the point, you know, this guy yeah. just keeps saying no, or, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure I know you're respected in the locker room, but you still can have some people when it's clear that you're living a different lifestyle than they are. Um, you know, people that are living a different lifestyle, they, they can love you, but sometimes they can also feel their own guilt and their own conviction. And so sometimes they can throw that back on you. Did you ever experience any of that kind of rejection or? 
Yeah, lots of just like um, indirect rejection where guys wouldn't show up. You'd send the invite out and, and see if any would show. That, yeah. that definitely can feel rejecting. Honestly, that can happen today. It happened last night where I yeah. walked through the rink. We're, we're doing chapels with our little guys, eight and under kids. Yeah. Um, and I walked through, hey, chapel, chapel in five minutes. And when two or three come, you can feel the rejection sometimes more of than the two or three coming and being joyful about the three that came, right. the 27 that did, didn't come. Right. can feel like rejection. Absolutely. And it can feel awkward. And um, so, yeah, there have been moments all along this process for me that it probably certainly feel a bit like rejection. Um, and I can sometimes dwell on those pieces and forget the joy of the, the one or two that do respond, you know, man. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about what you are doing with HMI and what you sure. have been doing. Um, because I even just see like on the HMI Oklahoma page and stuff, I see the people just talking yeah. about, uh, what a great job you're doing and what a difference you make. Um, I, I saw, I think, I don't know if you're writing them or somebody else, if there's somebody else on the staff that's writing just some different devotionals that I'm like, man, and I know you, like you have a gift for teaching and a gift for analogies and, um, and metaphors. And I was just reading one. I was like, man, that is some good writing. That is really good. <laughs> it probably wasn't my writing. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel super gifted in that area. Um, but I do. Yeah. So what we're doing, yeah. um, yeah. I met hockey ministries as a part of my story. Yeah. Um, I, I was after my sophomore year in college. So a classmate of mine, he wasn't a hockey player at school, but um, he knew the game and had played a bit at, at, at the youth level. And so um, his dad was the director of our hockey ministries camp um, in Boston. And so school was close enough to that. I actually had decided to stay in Boston and train with the guy there. Um, to train, train NHLers and minor pro guys. And so it was a good environment for me to be training in the summer. Um, and so my buddy just invited me to come to camp. And it was actually a second invitation. I completely forgot that he invited me. And I guess I cold shouldered him the first year. But um, I don't know if I was scared of hockey and ministry. I'm not sure. But I missed it the first year. But yeah. um, the second year, I, I go to hockey ministries camp in Boston. And it was uh, fantastic, life-changing um, incredible staff, incredible mission and vision of how they um, try to invest in young hockey players in their game, but then also try to teach them about Jesus and help them grow in their relationship with Christ uh, that, as a part of that. And so it's just a fantastic camp. And it yeah. felt life-changing for you, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a follower of Christ, but to meet a staff that just loved and cared for me and then to see this, like I, what I would call even more intentional environment for ministry to happen in, through hockey where they had thought about let's do an on ice session. Let's train them on the ice. Let's train them off the ice. And then let's also very intentionally teach them about Jesus in all of that environment um, and combine the two. It felt like a more intentional step into this hockey ministry thing that we're yeah. doing. Right. And so yeah. um, just fell in love with the staff, fell in love with their care for me um, and started to immediately see the impact on young hockey players lives when you, when you can invest in them on the ice, but then also invest in them internally off the ice is just a great combination. And that started, that was my first summer to volunteer with them. And um, I volunteered for the next 10 summers to wow. varying degrees yeah. um, while I was playing. So, And that somewhere along the line is where you got to know um, my brother-in-law and yes. sister Kathy and my nephews, right? Yeah. Somewhere along the line. Sorry. And that's one of the great blessings. I love that family there. <laughs> they, I mean, I consider you, 
as I did Stephen's wedding, you will maybe remember me feel like I wish they were my family. I, I consider them family. And, yeah. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're dear to me. And it was, um, I can't tell if my video is paused here. Yeah, it looks like it paused. Yeah. They are super dear to me. And that was the relationships of the, those camps and the connections with people, uh, they're widespread for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely family, whether you want it or not, you are, there's no, there's no doubt about <laughs> yeah, that. I do. There's I no do. doubt about yeah. that. And even at that wedding of Steven, I mean, you were doing like hockey puck, uh, illustrations and things. Sure. I mean, sure. dang, you got yeah. some gifts, you got some outs. All right. Just real quick. This is so off track. And I know we're, we're talking about HMI, but now I'm just curious who was writing. Like, so one of the devotionals I read, was talking yeah. about like if uh, you'd predicted the winner of the cup was going to be the lightning. Who was that? Yeah. Who wrote that? So I believe I wrote that one, but yeah, um, I have a yeah. great, I have a great staff yeah. guy. He's uh, <laughs> coming on staff. Um, okay. He's actually like in a contractual role. And so he writes a lot of stuff as well. Okay. Um, and he's a fun story of the ministry. We did. He came here um, several years ago, but, but about three years ago, I may have that time off yeah. a little bit, but about three years ago, he just texted me out of the blue. He wasn't a believer at the time. He was helping coach what? a 12 U team. Yeah. And he just texted me out of the blue. I, I don't know what happened this morning, but I realized I'm in, uh, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't even know what that means, but I'm, and so God started a walk. It's been awesome to watch him grow over the last, if it is three years, grow. Um, his wife came to faith through his faith. Wow. Um, had the opportunity to baptize them. Um, and so, and then he's taken this great leap with at great risk. Um, he's a super talented guy that could do a bunch of other things, but yeah. he decided, um, he felt called to, to join, um, the work and, and the vision moving forward with youth hockey ministry. And so, wow. um, yeah, so just a super neat story with him. And so he writes some of the stuff. So I, I can't remember for sure, but I think I wrote about the, you know, two feet high in Texas, the state of Texas and the, the quarters. Is that the one you're talking about, the probabilities and prophecy? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah it was great. Yeah. It was great. Well, it's I don't I don't know what to write. I don't know how to write. There's so much great stuff in the Bible. I'm not real systematic with it, but this year we've just been trying to move through Matthew and allow whatever God's kind of teaching us as we're reading Matthew to be what we prepare chapels for. So if we haven't gotten very far around like Matthew four, maybe I don't know. Yeah. But, um, one of them was just how often Matthew in the first four chapters of Matthew used fulfilled prophecy yeah. in Jesus life. And I like, I, I get to do chapels with six, seven and eight year olds, but I also get to do chapels with 19, 20, 21 year olds who are in college or juniors here. And so okay. trying to mesh those two and figure out how to navigate. But if I'm talking to a junior guy who maybe has no faith background to me, prophecy is one of the most convincing pieces mm. the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus life. And when you run the mathematics on that and the probability that he just accidentally fulfilled 351 prophecies or whatever it is, it's my hope is that that tweaks on his logic side. Like this isn't just some sort of far-fetched legendary thing, right? There's some substance to following Christ. It's actually illogical not to follow him. Yeah. Um, and, And it takes incredible faith to be an atheist because the evidence points to Christ. And so (laughs) my hope is to appeal to the heart of, you know, a 19 year old who maybe hasn't heard anything as well. Um, and some of that. And so, uh, anyways, I just love that Matthew includes so much fulfilled prophecy early on to kind of appeal to his buddies. Hey, like this guy, this Jesus yeah. guy is who you want to 
check out. So. Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right. So describe some of the ministry that you're doing. I mean, you've touched on it and stuff. You do chapels for little guys and you do chapels for these uh, older kids. Talk to us about um, what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. When I joined staff in 2011, um, that was the step from what I had experienced in camps. I had done a lot of camps and 10 years of volunteering. And then um, I had started to dabble in some chapel stuff when I was playing in Lubbock with the Texas Tech club team there. Okay. Um, and then when I was playing here in Oklahoma City, I would just volunteer as a chaplain with the OU team here. Yay. Um, Boomer Sooner. Go on. Boomer Yes. Yeah. yeah you, <laughs> your dad's a Sooner guy, right? He is. Mom and dad yeah. both. And uh, Baseball, yeah, yeah, it runs deep. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I, I'm an OSU fan, so there's this what? tension, right? Yeah, I know, I know. How but did that happen? I, yeah, well, my wife attended OSU for a bit, and so oh. that, um, that naturally, I didn't really have an affiliation one way or another when I got here, and so um, wow. I became an OSU fan that way. So it's, I do chapels with OU, so this is a dangerous thing to put out there, but <laughs> they actually know that, I, like, OSU doesn't have hockey, so I don't have to worry about the tension there, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we get to do chapel at multiple levels. But when I, when I came on staff, I had seen the camp side of ministry and the chapel side of ministry, which are kind of the two branches of what we do. Okay. Are the main two branches. And so we continue with camps and I'll help with camps in the summer and in various locations, usually three or four locations throughout the summer. And um, we have a camp now here in OKC that I'm responsible for and, and one in Dallas that I help with as well. So, okay. um, I continue the camp side of it. But then when I came on staff for the winter months, the goal is to do what we do at the NHL level, the AHL level, like you do at San Antonio, um, the East Coast, the major junior, the NCAA level. My heart was to serve players at the youth level when mm. I came on. My heart has been for youth, and yeah. God has kind of laid that on my heart. And so we just started with the youth hockey program here. And so um, initially it was just helping with teams on the ice and, uh, and starting to offer chapels off the ice. Um, I think the first year we offered one or two teams worth of chapels and then it's grown and we now offer chapels with, um, because Alex is such a huge help, we're now offering chapels with every team and every house program pretty much every week. They get a, a weekly chapel. So it's grown to a pretty awesome machine wow. in spite of COVID. Um, and so it's been really fun um, to see that happen here in OKC. Yeah. Um, and chapel for people who don't know what chapel is, it's just a, a 10 to 15 minute taking a look at God's word. Maybe it's prophecy in Matthew one through four. Yeah. Um, last night we just talked about Jesus being the greatest gift in all of history as we think about our Christmas gifts. And so that's chapel. So every week, sometimes it's two or three kids. Sometimes it's a few more kids, but they're sitting in and getting to, to dialogue about what God's word says about them and um, who God says they are and who he's called them to be and, um, and, and just get God's word in their lives a little bit at a time, yeah. sometimes from a hockey perspective. So, we do that from our six-year-olds to our 18-year travel team, and then the junior team and college teams here are getting chapels as well. Um, wow. So this sounds really like a lot of team. sounds like a lot of teams to me. It, I mean, what are we what are we talking about? Are we talking about four? Are we talking about ten? Are we talk? I mean, it just sounds like a lot. Yeah. So this year there are four travel teams here, and then okay. there are um, what they call house plus teams. Okay. So there are 10U, 12U, 14U junior high and high school house plus teams. So there's another five house plus teams that play sort of a, a merging of travel and house. Okay. Um, and then we have our house programs where within the, they play locally. So there's at the 10 U level, there's four, four house teams at the eight U level. There's six house teams um, at the 12 U level. I think there's uh, our junior high level. There's um, 
four as well, and then four high school teams. So those are, we'll do it for like, not per team, we'll do it for the high school house game that's going on, the two teams that are playing. Okay. Um, but each program is at least offered, for the most part, every week they're offered. I feel pretty confident that pretty much every kid in our association has access to a chapel Yeah. Um, during the week if they want to. It's obviously optional, but right. um, we're doing Zoom stuff as well um, now and because of COVID too. But yeah, so it's, Stacy, that's awesome. Man. Yeah. Dude, that is awesome. All right. Yeah. How do you do a chapel for six year olds? What does that <laughs> look like? I uh, share with us. What? Man, it can yeah, it takes patience. That's probably the one of the most challenging things in my job is like there's obviously a restriction on time. So as I'm trying to prep a chapel for a college guy and meet him where he's at and what he's struggling with and what he needs to be challenged with. Also remember the six-year-old can't handle that. So how do I navigate <laughs> yeah. prepping, prepping all of that material? It, it, it can become overwhelming and yet God's blessed it. And yeah. God's word never returns void. So oh. just sometimes I overthink that, but yeah. with a six-year-old, it's uh, keeping it simple and keeping it a little bit more direct than, um, than maybe what I would do with the, the older guys. Uh, yeah. And then having the patience, I did three of them last night with the eight U kids yeah. and they are awesome. They are a joy. And they can go every which direction and rabbit trail you can imagine. And so having enough patience to allow them to run down a rabbit trail and then try to bring it back. Yeah. Um, but it's fun when, like last night, a mom came up to me and said, hey, my, we haven't been able to go to church because of COVID. And uh, my son was having some success this past weekend at a tournament. And he said, well, it's not me that's being successful. God has put the hockey in me. So Whoa. You never know what kids are hearing um, Whoa. and what they're taking. So she was just thankful for what we offer. And yeah, it was, it's that we are, we are called to be more like them um, as, as challenged sometimes as the six-year-old and eight-year-old chapels can be. Yeah. I think Jesus has called us to be more childlike in our faith. So it can be refreshing as well. As hard as it can be to yeah. herd the cat sometimes, <laughs> it's refreshing to hear their authentic faith and, yeah. um, and their authentic response to stuff. So, man, that is really yeah. great, Stacy. Well, tell me yeah. about then, uh, just an example of relating it to those older kids. What does that, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I think I can overthink that too, because okay. the majority of those guys probably can't handle much more than what the eight-year-olds are. Going. A lot of them are coming True. from, not all of them, but a yeah. lot of them are coming from no faith background. So when we're talking about the story of Daniel in junior chapel yesterday, there might be one or two guys that have gone to church, Sunday school, have any idea who this Daniel guy is. So when you start yeah. naming off Jehoiakim and Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> and Belfish, all these names, right? They like they have no background. So to the fire hose them with the depth of that story is too much. They just need yeah. to hear that, that Daniel made a, a resolution and he committed mm. to God. And he, even if it was costing him his life, he mm. was going to be resolved to stand committed to God. And that's all they really need to hear and be challenged on. Yeah. Um, there's obviously topics uh, with older guys that you can delve into drinking substances, right. pornography. There can be really tangible stuff that I know those guys struggle with at that age. Right. Um, that can be specific chapels as well, but, our part as a ministry is just to help them know Jesus. Like yeah. we can tell them about pornography and how bad pornography is, but without right. Christ, there's no hope with that. So right. we always try to bring it back to Christ. And, and if that can be their foundational starting point, then we can have bigger, different conversations, more in depth about other topics, but it's got to be centered on Jesus first. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Mark, um, as we like take the last few minutes and uh, just ask, we'll ask Stacy to help us wrap up. Um, but there's a few pictures of his family that I'm going to ask you to put up, even though we got that AB going on. But um, one of the things that, uh, you know, you sent me in your bio that I just, you know, love and you can just, you've kind of touched upon it, but it says over the course of your career, God slowly showed Stacy that he was not a hockey player who happened to know Jesus, but rather a follower of Jesus who happened to play hockey. Uh, just, just talk a little bit about that because that's really deep, profound, and just key, I feel like. Yeah, um, hockey is the greatest game in the world. That's I unapologetically say that. It's <laughs> a fantastic game. Yeah. And so I fell in love with it. And I think it was a passion that God had given me, but it became my identity. Mm. It became an idol in my life. And so um, coincidentally or not, God brought, um, well, I, I got injured. I don't know whether God brought, I'm not going to say God caused it, but God allowed that situation yeah. to happen in my life where I was injured as I met hockey ministries. And so I was wrestling through an injury. I was wrestling through my identity being attached to the game. Sure. Um, and then I, I was, as I wrestled with this injury, I at moments wasn't sure I was going to play again. And so that brought me to places of like, who am I going to be? Like everybody knows me as a hockey player. Who am I? And that started a process, a slow process where God showed me that my identity had been in the game, that I was a hockey player who just happened to know Jesus, and he wanted to switch that, that yeah. with or without the game, I was a follower of Christ who just happened to play hockey. And so that that wasn't immediate, but the process began with that injury. Um, coincidentally, I met HMI at the same time that summer um, as I was going through that. And so um, I just started the process of recognizing that the next years of my career were um, I love the game. I pursued it with all my passion, but I was also recognizing that fans could be reached, teammates could be reached, that there was ministry happening here. And so yeah. um, and that was the work of identity in my life um, that God was doing. Man, so. that's good. That's good. All right. Um, just tell us a little bit uh, what you're feeling like. I mean, God obviously has you doing great things with these chapels and with camps. Is there anything else you feel like? I mean, it's really cool that somebody else is coming on board. Um, is there anything else you just feel like, man, I feel like God is leading us here or there. Uh, and also just speak to anybody, maybe just one person listening on radio or someone catching the yeah. podcast later or just on Facebook live right now is like, I want to be on this guy's team. Like who don't want to be on this guy's team and what he's doing <laughs> for Jesus. So, um, sure, sure. I want to talk, just have you talk about what that looks like, how they can get in contact with you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think the vision moving forward and, and it started, um, is what we've been doing in OKC, sort of the test run in Oklahoma City here yeah. at the youth level is to reach all 840,000 youth hockey players in North America and wow. beyond. Um, our mission statement as a ministry is to reach every player in every arena everywhere with the message of hope found in Christ. And so, um, that's what we're working towards. That's the vision is to try and replicate, not replicate, but like equip and see what we've done here, allow God to have avenues to do that in other places. And that started, um, there's a chapel with one of our guys in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, that's, that's going on with his grandson's, um, 10 new team. Um, uh, another volunteer of ours, great volunteer of ours in Fergus Falls, um, Minnesota started up and, and started serving like six, seven teams in Minnesota doing the same thing. Um, at the youth level, um, we did a little bit down in San Antonio, actually, last year. We tried right. to get a little bit going 
there um, with the youth hockey programs. And so our next step is to figure out how do we do what we've been doing here in other locations? How do we find people? How do we equip them? How do we train them? Um, it feels daunting, but I also yeah. look back at the last 45 years of our ministry, 43, 44 years of our ministry, yeah. and think of the first camp and the first chapel at the pro level, and now God is serving you know, 38 locations in a normal summer and over 350, wow. probably over 350 chapels and teams in North America. Um, and so we're kind of looking ahead to the next 40 years. What does God have? We're just going to take the next step at wow. the youth level. Our heart is to see where God wants to go um, at the youth level. So that's kind of the next vision um, yeah. for us. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, Stacy. Yeah. Man, that's cool. Yeah. All right. How yeah. can uh, somebody be a part of your team? Uh, what does that sure. look like? Yeah, well, we are um, guys who are on staff of Lockheed Ministries are missionaries. So we, yeah. like a like a church would send out a missionary, we are um, self-funded. So we're funding, fundraising. And um, so if somebody wanted to join a team financially, they could absolutely do that. They could join the team in prayer um, and just be praying for wisdom and the, that vision that I just described moving forward. Um, we're always looking for volunteers. Um, and it can be in new locations where we're trying to start a camp or um, jumping on board and serving in a camp or um, somebody that has a family member that's a hockey player. I mean, I could, I could do a chapel if you'd give me some resources to do that. Um, I would love to help lead a chapel for my son's or grandson's wow. team. Um, there's avenues to serve. There's avenues to pray. Um, there's avenues to tell other people about it and invite them in. And then there's, there's avenues to financially give as well, tangibly. So yeah, those are ways to get involved for sure. Um, I guess contacting me would would be one way you can go to the hockey ministries.org website um, okay. and um, connect with us there um, communicating or donating on there. Um, okay. I don't know if you can post my actual contact. Yeah, but they can certainly contact me. Do you see that I have his email address in one of those shots, at least for Facebook live. Um, sure. Yeah. Mark is figuring it out. The marksman. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Perfect. Yeah. They can contact <laughs> me via email. It's perfect. You guys are top notch down there. I love it. Yeah. So <laughs> any kind of communication that way and I can answer questions or um, help out for sure. So awesome. Um, I, I think the other piece that you asked me, to, I, I'm probably yeah. going over, but no, no, my no, family, we're good. Like, we didn't talk a ton about my family, but yeah, talk um, about it. Uh, there are a couple of pictures scrolling across there, but um, yeah, my wife is incredible. Um, she's awesome at dwelling in the mess of life. And <laughs> um, so we've fostered a couple of kids. Um, we are, currently fostering a um a one-year-old so that's super fun and then those are my daughters there millie's the youngest um she's six in the okay. kind of rainbow shirt right Belle is in the middle annabelle she is eight and lydia is nine um we adopted annabelle a couple years ago officially we've had her since she was eight months old but wow. um that's our family and um super fun i think the, one of the pictures maybe had the dogs in there too it's the only other testosterone in the house is a couple of male dogs. So <laughs> a lot of girls, a lot of, a girls. lot of girls. Well, man, what a, tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. And your, your guys's heart for uh, foster kids. What does that, what does that mean in your life? Obviously uh, pretty means a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it probably ties into the, the heart for youth. Um, yeah. But I think it started out that we had had conversations, maybe like a lot of Christian couples, like, yeah, adoption is a cool idea. God adopted us in their mm. family. We never really took any active steps. And so God literally dropped Annabelle into our life um, mm. several years ago, back in um, 2013. And so 
Um, and that process was just uh, an unorthodox process, but eventually it led to adoption, and it was super fun, and it's been hard and awesome all mixed together. Um, and then my wife's heart is just uh, super helpful and, uh, like I said, knows how to dwell in the in the mess of life. And so she's just had some awesome relationships and um, with people who have gone through hard times, and that's opened yeah. doors to emergency foster, and then we officially got certified, I guess, um, with this last one. And so we're now fostering rookie for, um, for the last year. And, and I think it's just a matter of, this is a need. Mm. Um, we have a heart and, and, and an opportunity to do it. And I think uh, maybe that's something to challenge believers with. I think mm. if the church stepped up more in the foster care world and in the adoption world, um, it, it might look a lot different. And I think we're called to it, um, to help yeah. orphans and widows in their distress, James one, right. um, it's just a very practical way to live out our faith and meet a need. And so um, God provided the opportunity and, and gave us the heart to open the door um, for that opportunity. So um, it's been, it, it, it's not without challenges, but it's been fun for sure. I love it. I love it, man. All right. That's yeah. awesome, Stacy. Is there anything else you just want to add that we just didn't happen to touch on? No, I think that's great. And it's good to connect with you again, Steve, and get to see you like in person. <laughs> this is fun. Very fun. Um really good to connect again. Man, I, I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate who you are and, and God has clearly called you and Rana, your family, anytime you're in ministry, whether people want it or not. I mean, it's a, it's a family ministry and um, it's just mm -hmm. a beautiful thing that you guys are doing what Jesus is authoring in your life. And um, man, we're just honored to get to talk to you and hear some about it. And thank you for the impact that you've had. Um, I'm sure on my nephews and uh, on just many, many people and uh, your blessing. And so blessings to you as well, Stacy. Really appreciate it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time and being so patient with us today as <laughs> yeah. uh, the Marksman Good. and Shemaya Reed have got us set up. And I just, I'm going to sign off on the show and then just hold on for a second so I can uh, sure. talk to you um, off air. But I just want to remind our listeners and I just want to say a word about HMI, um, Hockey Ministries International too. Just, I was blessed to get to be the chaplain for the San Antonio Rampage here in San Antonio for a couple of years. Unfortunately, they, the Spurs uh, sold them and they're now in Las Vegas and I'm not commuting to do that chapel. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it was just such a blessing in my life and just to get to meet with some of those hockey players. And, of course, that was all set up through um, Rocco Grimaldi in the first place who we had a friendship and relationship with then. And then to get to know guys like Joey Legia and Jordan Bennington, who's with the Blues now, and Nathan Walker, several other guys was just a real blessing. So I'm, I'm grateful for HMI and Rick Matera and just the, the vision of what these guys do is just awesome. And to watch it grow and to hear Stacy talk about the continual just vision of that is just incredible. Um, it is a, it is a mission field, just a straight up mission field. 
And so I invite you to be a part of HMI and be a part of Stacy's team as well and uh, to help him to continue to reach kids. So you can also email me, steve at verybold.com. If you just have any questions or whatever, I can get you in contact with Stacy. But I'm just really grateful for him and for HMI and for the impact that they're making. And I just I can think about all the stories about, you know, Jordan Bennington and uh, just some of these guys. Um, I'm just they're kind of rolling through my scrolling through my head uh bobby just some some different you know young guys that needed to hear about jesus and it's just an awesome thing so uh anyway i want to close with this we were fortunate and blessed to to be a part of that chaplaincy program as i said and we continue to minister to hockey players uh which is now a part of very bold since i don't get to be chaplain for the rampage anymore but uh, that is a big blessing in my life. So I want to remind you, and you just never know what door is going to open. And maybe the door um, that's going to open for you is just being on Stacy's team or somehow, you know, God is going to open or show you something else and just realize that, man, this is my mission field. Maybe it's not the ice rink. Maybe it's your office. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's that Zoom call that you're on or whatever. Those people that God has put in your life is an opportunity. And I just love Stacy's heart that he shared with us about that. So maybe it's just a, a shift in your perspective and attitude of just thinking of those opportunities. Regardless, I want to remind you just, man, what Stacy kind of has alluded to and talked about. We know the creator of the universe. We know the love he has for us. And it's not just for us, it's for us to share with others. So the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 3.12. This is where the name Very Bold comes right off of, stole it right off the Apostle Paul. If you're going to steal something, that's a good place to steal from. And he wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.12, and this is how we sign off. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com.